Isaiah 5, verses 1 to 7, on page 624. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a winepress there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I am about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns or briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He looked for justice but saw injustice, for righteousness but heard cries of wretchedness. Hello, the second reading is John 15, verses 1 to 17, and that's on page 994. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be, com- may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know, know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Kate. And Chris, if you could keep that passage open, that would be really helpful. Um, I would love to be more um, spiritually alive. Uh, wouldn't you? 
I think many of us would, would love to have more spiritual energy, you know, to be more filled up and more satisfied in Jesus, to be fruitful, you know. How do we do that, though? How are we going to make that happen? What is at the core of, or what is the key to having a, a, a vigorous spiritual life? You could read lots of Christian books, which will tell you, uh, you know, the four steps to the secret of thriving with Jesus. Um, the world will tell you, you know, all the different ways to lead the good life. But Jesus says, remain in me. That's it. Remain in me. Friends, I think this is actually pretty close to the core of what it means to be a Christian. This is pretty close to the core of the Christian life, remaining in Jesus. You and I need to learn the lesson of the vine. If you'll remember, it's, it's the night before Jesus dies and he's, he's been talking with his followers. And he said to them, I'm leaving, but don't worry. Because they were worried. They were very worried. He said, don't worry. I'm going to remain with you by my spirit. I'm with you and the Father is with you. And then as chapter 14 finishes, Jesus and his, uh, and his followers kind of leave the upper room. And um, I'm making this bit up. And as, as they're kind of walking out, you know, they're still asking lots of questions. You know, uh, what are you talking about, Jesus? And what are we meant to do while you're away? And, and then Jesus kind of sees this grapevine growing over a pergola. And he thinks, it's like that, guys. It's like a vine. And his point's pretty clear, isn't it? You pick it up as Kate was reading it. Verse 5, I think, is a good summary of what's going on. I am the vine. You're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Me, vine. You branches, remain, you'll make fruit. Don't remain, you can't make fruit. I mean, I've got, I've got not much of a garden, but even I get that, you know. It's pretty straightforward, right? Well, tonight, I want to ask two really simple questions of this. Uh, why and how? The first question is why. Why is it that we can't bear fruit unless we remain in Jesus? It seems like quite an arrogant thing to say, doesn't it? You can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. Is he for real? I think the answer depends upon what this fruit is. Because say, if fruit is niceness, then surely you can be nice without remaining in Jesus, can't you? But the vine we're talking about in this passage is not a niceness vine. The fruit is not niceness. In the Old Testament, you might have picked this up from the Isaiah reading or during the week in hive groups, the vine is Israel. Um, and Israel were meant to be model humans. Israel were meant to be like on the catwalk, you know? This is how good humanity can be, that kind of thing. Um, and, and so the fruit Israel was meant to bear was meant to be like, this is how you live as a human. You're like model human living. So, for example, in Isaiah 5, it included righteousness. They were meant to be righteous. They were meant to live rightly. 
But like Isaiah said, they were a terrible vine. They didn't belong on the catwalk. They were, they were just like everyone else. And it's against that kind of background that Jesus turns up and says, I am the true vine. I am the model human. I am righteous. And especially, I am loving. I am what we're meant to be like. You see, what we're talking about in chapter 15 is a Jesus vine. And so the fruit from the Jesus vine is kind of Jesus-like. So you could kind of think about the fruit like this. It's living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It's, it's living as a true human, how we always ought, ought to live. And so let's come back to the beginning and restate the question, can you live and love like Jesus without remaining in Jesus? I want to give you two reasons why the answer is no. And the first is this, because we need minds directed by Jesus if we're going to live like Jesus and love like him. We don't actually know how to live and love like him unless he tells us. The world out there um, actually doesn't really, it's not going to tell you how to love like Jesus. Um, I was down in Darling Harbour last night and there was all these signs up saying that February is the month of love, which is nice. It's my birthday month. I thought special. But then underneath the subtitle said, whatever your heart desires. I thought, since when is love doing whatever your heart desires? Jesus has a totally different idea of love. It's not whatever his heart desires. It's other person-centered love. His love is cross-shaped. It is foot-washing love. It is costly, courageous love. And the world is not going to tell you how to do it. You pick up a copy of the MX. It's not going to tell you how to humbly serve people like Jesus. You flick on the telly. It's not going to tell you how to, you know, seek justice like Jesus did. We need to be directed by Jesus. And so verse 7 says he wants, us, he wants his word to remain in us. But the second reason we need to remain in Jesus is that we need our hearts to be filled by Jesus. You know, if we're actually going to live and love like him, we need him to fill our hearts. Living out of an empty heart, on the other hand, is a terrible thing. Someone can seem to be serving, pouring out their heart, when all along they're actually trying to fill their own empty, aching heart. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like the charity worker who is only doing the charity work so they can feel good about themselves. Do you know what I mean? The person who serves tirelessly at, tirelessly at church so that they get that sense of value that they're looking for. Or the person who lives for Jesus in the hope that Jesus might just possibly accept them. They're serving out of an empty heart. And you can't live like Jesus and love like Jesus out of an empty heart. You, you'll fall short. 
So you'll struggle to keep loving someone when they're not giving much back to you, when they're not filling up your empty heart. You'll get defensive. And as soon as you get defensive against someone, you're thinking about you, defending yourself, not about loving them. You can't can't keep loving. If you've got an empty heart, then you're not willing to keep paying the cost that it's going to cost to love and to live like Jesus. If it's going to cost you that promotion, that time that you just don't have, that effort, that money, you're not going to pay it. We can really only live like Jesus and and love like him. We can only really bear fruit if he's filling our hearts, if we remain in him and in his love. Have you met people who live for Jesus out of a full heart? It's a beautiful thing. Maybe it's you. It's a wonderful place to be. Where you're so convinced and, and secure in God's love for you that you're able to just forget yourself. Pour yourself out in love for others. You know, I'm sorted. I'm good. I've been, I've been loved. How can I love you? It's kind of like when you're in love with someone. It's a beautiful kind of romantic love. And you know they love you and you love them. And you're willing to do anything for them. You know, some of the stupidest things in the world have been done by people in love, haven't they? <laughs> you see, a heart that is, that is filled with love doesn't get defensive. Because Jesus is its defense. I don't need to defend myself. I'm loved. I'm, I'm sorted. The heart that is filled with, filled with love can pay the costs in the name of love. I was hearing about someone at our church just the other day who's uh, been, uh, there's been all these promotions being offered at work and she hasn't gotten any of them, even though she's absolutely qualified. And the reason is because she cares for her staff. She actually really cares for her team. She's not harsh enough with them. She's interested in things other than the bottom line. So she's not getting the promotion. But she's willing to keep taking that hit because she knows she's loved. It's it's okay. She's willing to be a lowly manager because she's been served by the king. He became a lowly servant for her. Friends, if we want to live for Jesus and love like Jesus, if we want to bear fruit if we want to have a a sort of a a vigorous spiritual life, we must remain in Jesus. There is no other way. Unless we remain in him, we can do nothing. Have you ever walked through a park and seen a dried up stick lying on the ground and it suddenly bursted forth this crop of passion fruit? Thank you for laughing. It's ridiculous. Is it any more likely that you will lead a vigorous spiritual life if you're not seeking to remain in Jesus? Is it any more likely? Jesus directs our minds and fills our hearts, points us in the right direction and pushes us off. So with this in mind, Jesus commands his disciples Remain in me, 
This is the big command in this section. Eleven times he talks about remaining. If you're into that repeated word tool, this, you know, remain. Remain in my love. And if it's not clear enough, he's got a warning in there as well. See that in verse 6? If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they're burned. This is important stuff, friends. It's important for us to to ask ourselves, "Am am I bearing fruit? Well, this brings us to the next question. If it's so important to remain in Jesus, how do I do it? How? It does sound a bit nebulous, doesn't it? Remain in me. A bit kind of like vague. Remain. What does that mean? I think the word remain doesn't really help us here because it kind of sounds like I'm going to sit down and not go anywhere. It sounds very passive, doesn't it? The idea of remaining in, in Jesus, though, isn't meant to be passive at all. It's meant to be... Um, It's meant to be work. We're meant to do things. So let's try to tie it down. How do we kind of remain in Jesus? Well, it's not that easy to say. (laughs) Because it's not a mechanical thing. I can't give you four steps for remaining in Jesus. Because it's a relationship. It's kind of like the vine. You know, it's an organic thing. You can't kind of tell the vine where to go. It's an organic thing. It's a relationship. But we're going to try to talk about it anyway in two different ways. Uh, Remaining in Jesus with our minds and hearts and then remaining in Jesus with our actions. So first, remaining with our minds and hearts. Uh, Like I said before, the world out there isn't going to help your mind remain in Jesus and know how to live for him. Nor is the world going to fill up your heart to live for Jesus. So, if we're going to remain in him, we're going to have to grab our minds and focus ourselves on Jesus. And as our minds are focused on him, we're going to seek to have our hearts filled by him, his love. This is exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's seeking to actually fill the hearts of his followers. Do you see verse 9? Look at verse 9 with me. This verse is amazing. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Think for a minute. How has the Father loved the Son? Eternally? From before time began? With an intensity that we can't even begin to comprehend. He made all of creation as a gift to his son, gave it all over to him. As my father has loved me, so I have loved you. Isn't that amazing? Eternally loved Verse 16, you have been chosen. You were in, yeah, he chose you before time began, as we read in Ephesians. He loved you with an intensity that you don't understand yet, and you never really will fully. 
Verse 13, there is no greater love than this. There's no greater love. The Son of God gave everything for us. Friends, we were in desperate need. Sin had cut us off from God. We had no roots connecting ourselves to life. We were bound for the fire. But then Jesus took our sin upon himself. He paid the consequences for our sin. Why? Because greater man has no, greater love has no man than this. It's out of love. Friends, please, I hope you're convinced that, that Jesus is absolutely, unquestionably for you. He is for you to the bottom of his being. And for Jesus, you are not some kind of, you know, recipient of his love that's kind of out there somewhere. You know, like a sponsor child. They get some money once a month, but you don't really know them. You know, another photo on Jesus' fridge. He's got 60 billion of them, but you know, you're one of them. That's not it. You're not like the pleb who works in his corporation, where he doesn't really have time to get to know your name. How does he think of you? Verse 15. I do not call you slaves anymore, because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing. I've called you friends, because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. He calls us friends. You know, friends, the kind of people you can, you can be relaxed around, the kind of people who accept you for who you are, you know, you can, kind of, you can be who you are around them. That's wild, isn't it? Me and Jesus, friends. And so he's shared his work with us because we're friends. He's involved us in it. He's bearing his fruit through us, taking his mission forward through us, answering our prayers for that, for that fruit-bearing work. This, this is amazing. God. We, we, that we have every reason for our hearts to be filled. Unfathomable love. The inestimable privilege of, of being called a friend of Jesus. The eternal purpose of bearing fruit for him. He is utterly for us. He is utterly behind us and in front of us and all around us. He loves us. Brothers and sisters, if any of this has kind of got you at all moved, if his great love has moved you at all, what you're feeling is, is the sap, the life-giving sap of Jesus flowing through you. And it's this sap of his love by his spirit that enables us to bear fruit. It's so important. It's his love. It's Jesus himself that enables us to bear fruit, to be spiritually vigorous for him. And so Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in my love. What are we going to do to do that? Like, what are we going to do to actually keep our minds and our hearts focused in on Jesus and his love for us? Well, this sounds pretty boring, but we're going to read the Bible. We're going to meditate deeply. We're going to listen to Christian music or sermons. We're going to, 
We're going to talk with each other. Why not tell someone after church what you're most loving about Jesus at the moment? We're going to keep coming to church in small group. And then we're going to pray it all in. Friends, this calls for discipline and hard work. Remaining in Jesus, keeping our minds focused. But don't ever think that, the, that those things, that the kind of the reading and the talking and all that, don't think that's the end in itself. We're just doing whatever it takes to keep ourselves, our minds and hearts, remaining in Jesus. So that we're thinking him every day. And just briefly, as I round out this section, this is especially important when we're going through times of pruning. You know those times when things are really not going your way? Maybe God's trying to teach me something here. These are the times it's especially important to let God's word examine us and correct us. To set us straight so that we might bear more fruit for him. That's the point of pruning. So, we want to be remaining in Jesus with our minds and hearts. But second, we want to remain in him with our actions. Once again, the word remain, it, it just, I don't think it captures this idea. It's very passive, isn't it? Sit still. But it's not the idea. See verse 10? Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've, got, I've met a number of Christians at church here who long to have a really close walk with Jesus. They long to be really you know, intimate with him, satisfied in him. But obedience kind of seems optional. You know, I want to walk through life with Jesus kind of hand in hand. But if he goes somewhere too difficult, I'm not going. I want you to imagine for a moment, uh, you're going to have to use your imagination, a vine kind of walks into your uh, workplace, this vine, and um, he's walking over to the water fountain and he sees a cleaner and he thinks to himself, I should, you know, talk to that cleaner and just say hello, see how they're going. The branches think, man, that's kind of embarrassing. I don't want to be caught up with the, the cleaner, someone who's just not really important. And, and the branches kind of disconnect themselves and go back to their desk. That's not remaining in the vine, is it? Do you know what I mean? If we're not actually walking with Jesus, remaining in Jesus in our actions, we're not really remaining in Jesus. Now, before you think, I knew there was a catch to this Christian thing, you know? Obeying his commands is not the unfortunate cost of being a Christian. Obeying his commands is part of remaining in him. It's part of living a fruitful life. It's part of being truly human. I've met a lot of Christians who don't understand why they should keep Jesus' commands. Maybe that's you. You know, I'm saved by grace, aren't I? It was nothing I did. So why do I have to obey any commands? Why, why am I trying to be good? 
And we seem to completely miss the point that being good is good. You know, it's actually good. We seem to forget the fact that we're saved by grace, through nothing we've done, into a new life, into new humanity, into Jesus. And he calls us to remain with him and walk with him as he walks. Guys, this is not kind of the the unfortunate kind of thing we have to do. Verse 11, Jesus is saying that this is for our joy. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's right after verse 10. Friends, I wonder if you've experienced that. I wonder if you can testify to this truth that obedience leads to joy. You know, you did that thing that you didn't really want to do, but you knew God wanted you to do. You know, there was that thing that you didn't, you know, that cost you didn't want to pay. You didn't want to have to do that thing for that person again, but you did it. That's so often a joy. Liv and I decided to, uh, my wife, to give a bit more money away this year, um, which was going to mean us sort of cutting back on a couple of luxuries. That was a joy, actually. It's kind of liberating. I'm actually really living for Jesus. I'm actually really kind of paying a cost. Friends, obedience is actually part of how we remain in Jesus. So verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I've been here at church for just over 12 months now. And I've met quite a number of people who are a bit sort of ho-hum about their faith. It's great that I'm a Christian. I'm just not that excited by it. I'm more passionate about work or hobbies or exercise. I wonder if that's partly because we're not actually living it out. I'm sure we're not doing some bad things. We're not screwing up often. But are we actually living for Jesus in costly ways? Loving like Jesus? Living for Jesus? Like giving up our time, our effort, our money to love those and care for those who are less powerful amongst us, less fortunate amongst us? Are we standing up for what's right? Are we laying down our lives for the good of others, our family, friends, neighbors? Are we speaking up for Jesus? Sometimes I think we're not very excited about living for Jesus because we're not living for Jesus. Some of us this evening are sick of this kind of pathetic life of faith, but we're stuck. We're not, we can't do anything. We can't seem to move forward. What are we going to do? How are we going to have spiritual vitality? Is there some sort of four-step program I can take? Is there some secret? Jesus says, just remain in me. Keep your mind and your heart focused in him, on him daily. And then live for him 
Remain in him in your actions. And this will be the result. Verse 11, our joy will be complete. Verse 8, God will be glorified and we will be Jesus' disciples. Can I pray? Lord God, we want to live for you. Lord Jesus, we want to love like you. We want to live the life that you have saved us for. But we can't do any of that ourselves, Lord. We don't have the strength to do that. We don't have the resources. So, Lord, please help us to remain in you as you remain in us. Please help us this week to fix our minds and hearts upon you. We pray you would fill our hearts with your love and then use us to bear much fruit. For your glory's sake and for our joy. Amen.